Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is Frank. Um, if you want to call into the show and join our conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's Wavemaker on WMNF Tampa is Stephanie Pointer, president of the Tampa Homeowners, an association of neighborhoods, an influential group of civic activists. Stephanie has been very active in her own neighborhood, south of Gandhi Boulevard, affectionately known as SOG. She's been one of the most outspoken defenders of John Dingfelder, the Tampa City Council member who resigned from office recently after he was sued by a development lobbyist over his handling of public records. Meanwhile, the lobbyist's lawyer is now representing a former aide in her sexual harassment case against Tampa City Council member Orlando Goods and has suggested without evidence that Council member Bill Carlson is behind a fake Facebook account that has criticized his client as well as Mayor Jane Castor. You know, Janet, I've been uh, following Tampa politics for more than 40 years and have never seen anything like what's going on at City Hall these days. All three council members Janet mentioned also happen to be outspoken critics of some of Mayor Jane Castor's favorite but controversial proposals, such as the Toilet to Tap project, now rebranded as Pure, the lack of bidding on a $110 million construction project in East Tampa, and, of course, the mayor's appointment of the new police chief. So, Stephanie, you are a uh, uh, often seen at city council meetings and a close observer of uh, City Hall. What is going on? Well... Um, it's an interesting concept. I think that um, the folks who have the um, the audacity to push back are really seeing forces come for them from all sides. Um, I, I think that the folks who are really standing up for the neighborhoods have taken the brunt of this. Um, it's really an attack on the neighborhoods, not necessarily just those city councilmen. Um, large developers have been in charge in the city for many, many years with no voice for the citizens in the neighborhoods. And um, over the last year and a half, two years, we've really um, gained some ground with uh, Councilman Dingfelder, Councilman Goods, and Councilman Carlson leading the way. Well, as our listeners uh, heard, uh, if you were listening to Sean Canan's show uh, just a few minutes before we started... The city council has now appointed uh, Lynn Hertak to replace John Dingfelder uh, on city council. And, and you spoke before um, the presentations by the applicants and before the uh, voting by the council. What did you tell them, Stephanie? I told them that the most important thing that they needed to consider today is representing the citizens and the voters, um, not the needs of the development um, to elect somebody who looked a lot like Councilman Dingfelder on paper. And uh, what do you think of their choice of, of Lynn Hertek? I think Lynn is an excellent um, choice. I've worked with her on a couple different projects in her area. Um, we, we help other neighborhoods um, work towards affordable housing requesting that as neighborhoods versus um, it being part of the rules for development. Um, it's called practice 
instead of policy. And hopefully one day we'll get a policy where everybody needs to build at least some percentage of affordable with every new complex that comes in. I know that the downtown CRA has 2,500 apartments coming in and none of them are not 2,500 units rather, and none of them are affordable. So you... Um Stephanie are representing the neighborhoods and you're talking about how John Dinkfelder, somebody who advocated tirelessly for the neighborhoods forced out of office, um, coming under attack um, for his support of the neighborhoods in a lot of ways. Um, and now we've got Lynn on there, a new council member who you are, are pleased with what her reputation is with the neighborhoods. What do you, where do you get your most support at City Hall on, from neighborhoods? Is it from the council? What are you getting from the administration from City Hall? Where are you finding your biggest support? Um, in every single circumstance, it's from our city councilman. Um, I think that the situation with the police chief was extremely important because it showed the citizens of the city that there is a chasm between the mayor's office and the administration over there and what goes on at city council. And city council listens to the citizens. Over and over and over again, I've asked people to write to city council for one reason or another, and they report back to me, oh, I got a letter or I got an email or I got a phone call. Um, I've been working at this since um, November of 2019. I have never received a phone call, an email, or response from the mayor directly. I've, I've received a form letter that... Thank you for uh, your communication. Yeah, thank you for your communication. <laughs> That's it. So um, who's listening to the citizens? Um, it would be your city councilman, for sure. And always, historically, there is some tension between the city of Tampa mayor and the city council. I think you could say that frequently. There is some tension there. It's a strong mayor form of government, and the council has really actually fairly limited duties. But I think what we seem to be seeing here is just a concerted effort to by the administration um, to um, um, attack people uh, uh, and and compromise their position on the city council is what we seem to be seeing right now. It does seem to be the case, although you know it, it's hard to defend some of the things that uh, have have come out regarding Orlando Goods and some of the things he said. And let's face it, John Dingfelder was sloppy with his public records. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have brought up the issue of the precedent that this has set in which a, 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 an elected official is forced out of office because they can't pay the legal fees in a lawsuit um, that was not defended by the city attorney. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, on October the 7th, um, the Tampa Bay Business Journal uh, released an article that said that uh, the city attorney, Gina Grimes, said that she would not defend him. Um, and it was wishy-washy about whether she said he would he um, had complied or not. But the bottom line is that uh, four days later, he gets sued. You do the math. Um, I would like to say that my name is in the lawsuit. No one has ever asked me. How are you named in the lawsuit? I wasn't I not, was, uh, was not supposed aware of to be, I think, one of the recipients. I haven't seen the documents okay. in a while. Oh, I have a text yeah. message? Yeah, that, I mean, the... the the basis of the lawsuit was it was about 81 Bay, which is 4465 Gandhi Boulevard. And um, and, th- and there's a proposal right. there to exactly. uh, replace that commercial right. development with, with uh, multifamily. Uh, yes, 305, I believe. And no and no commercial at the bottom or anything, no. just, just straight up no. residential. Just more development, more residences in an already very crowded area. And no Congested. affordable, no workforce. No affordable, no workforce. 
So that was the basis of the of the, and that's the lawsuit that you were you're named yes, in it because yes, of that because yes. of that conversation. And um, we you know we were we were flabbergasted. I mean, the day we had a neighborhood retreat the the morning after, and it was it was somber. The neighborhoods were somber that next morning. Um, After the resignation, yes, because absolutely. they felt they had lost an advocate. Yes, absolutely. It was it was heartbreaking um, because you know it had to be serious if he was going to resign. Well, now we have the uh, question, and, and hopefully uh, we're hoping that Justin uh, Garcia of the of Creative Loafing will be calling us at eleven thirty to talk about the issue of uh, yeah. Gina Grimes, the city attorney, uh, also apparently not being a very good steward of public records. She was talking to uh, this attorney that we have mentioned um, repeatedly and texting and not maintaining some of her records. So what do you think of that? I think that um, people are human beings. And um, we had a crucifixion for somebody who was a human being. And um, But I think when the pot is calling the kettle black, I have some issues with that. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Wavemakers on WMNF, and I'm Janet, and I'm here with my co-host Tom and Stephanie Pointer um, from the Tampa um, Homeowners and Neighborhood Association is here. That's the um, the citywide um, neighborhood association. Um, and uh, if you want to have any comments about what's happening at City Hall, at City Council right now, go ahead and give us a call, 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. And now the Tampa Bay Times has a story that came out today uh, regarding the Orlando Goods investigation uh, and pointing out that the city had looked into the allegations initially and decided not to move forward and decided that there was no basis for an investigation and then came back last year and reached out to the complainant and asked her if they could restart it. And apparently they talked to her a couple of times um, what do you think of that? I don't know about you, but in my work in the business world, I never had an HR person call me when I stayed home for a couple of days or a week to find out how I was doing. In fact, multiple times. Yeah. So I, I just, I can't kind of, that's, un, I, I just don't get it. Doesn't make sense. We have an email from David Bryant who says, um, Goods has got to go. I think he should do the right thing and resign from the city council. I wonder about women who work at the Goods funeral home. Are they dealing with the same kind of toxic workplace from Orlando Goods? And if they are, maybe they could sue him too. So that's what David Bryant has to say. And again, no one here, I think, is defending um, some of that behavior, if that is all, if it is all true and accurate. Um, but what seems to be going on is that it, it was revived. There was an investigation of him that was revived explicitly um, later to embarrass him and Just bring him down and, and, and compromise him as a, as a council member and maybe try to force him to resign as well. And he says he's not going to resign. Uh, and uh, we'll, I don't know if he's going to stand for re-election, but ultimately the voters will decide whether they want to keep him in office. But I wanted to talk to you about a third city council member, uh, Bill Carlson. Uh, do you consider Mr. Carlson also a... Uh, he's a, a very strong neighborhood activist. Neighborhood activist. Yes, he, I mean, that's where he started at. So the same attorney who uh, sued uh, John Dingfelder and is now representing the uh, woman who has complained about Orlando Goods's behavior has suggested that somehow Bill Carlson is behind a fake Facebook account that has also been critical of, of uh, the mayor and some uh, business lobbyists. And w what do you think of that? 
Well, I've been accused of being James Reed as well. So <laughs> I guess it gets around, doesn't it? Um, it'll be interesting to see who that is. I, I don't have any idea. I, I would I would put money on it, and I don't go to Vegas for a reason, but I would certainly put money on the fact that uh, it's probably not Bill. It doesn't seem like he needs a fake account to say some pretty strong things about the uh, administration. I exactly. Mean, he, he did have his uh, called the biking while black and the renting while black issues uh, with the police department racist policies. Mm -hmm. um, so I, he doesn't seem like he has to have a fake account to make some strong points. But uh, do you see this as part of a, the pattern that you were talking about? Oh, absolutely. I think that, the, I mean, I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but man, does it keep happening over and over and over again right before something big comes up in front of city council? Right before something happens, there's always something in the paper or on Tampa Bay Business Journal where it, it's to distract mm -hmm. versus what's really going on at city council. I spend half my life, it seems like, watching city council and listening to what people say. And if you watch and listen, you learn the personalities of the folks sitting up there at the, at the, ta at the diocese. Well, one of the things actually that you've talked about is um, something that is as being uh, this is a distraction from is the conversation about the development, the city uh, hall development in East Tampa on Hannah Street. Um, and that's something that has been somewhat controversial because it started off as a very small contract that ballooned into a very giant contract without any bid on it. Um, and that's something that keeps coming up in the city council's questioning the administration about. And yet we end up with the um, instead these distracting issues instead of talking about that. What's Than's position on that development in East Tampa? Well, Than doesn't have an official position. We're very cautious with our positions. The only one that I know that we voted for so far is the sidewalks. Um, and, and we do that by democracy. And I'm not the most learned person about Hannah Street. You cannot know everything. Just like our city councilman cannot know everything in 35 hours a week. Um, so the bottom line is that uh, the Hannah Street Project, here's what my disposition is. The Hannah Street Project is a Japanese bullet train. Everything else in the city operates like the little engine that could. That makes me suspect because nothing happens quickly in government. And yet we blinked and we're clearing the lot. We have a bigger contract. Um, it's just, it, it just follow the flies. Right. The uh, city also has been very aggressive in... Uh uh, providing information uh, that they want to release uh, and sometimes not providing information they don't want to release. Uh, La Gazzetta, uh, for example, uh, just uh, last week uh, pointed out that um, the timing, they found the timing, uh, Patrick Montega found the timing of the uh, release of the information about Orlando Goods to be uh, very questionable. Um, and the information, the mayor's statement, uh, basically suggesting, uh, calling on him to resign uh, were released in the Tampa Bay Business Journal first, even before Orlando Goods received the report. <laughs> and yet we know that Justin Garcia has tweeted that he has a public records request that's been more than 30 days, uh, and he still hasn't gotten a response. Have you had a similar experience with public records? It's my understanding that um, the an ethics complaint is not to be disclosed until after the ethics um, decision has been made, and that's a violation, and it's against city code. I don't think an ethics uh, complaint has been filed against John Dingfelder, has there? There's been a lot of talk 
there's been a lot of discussion about whether he did violate the ethics policies of the city and the state, but I don't believe any any complaint has been filed yet. I, or, don't, I don't have any way of knowing. Any, the exactly ethics committee is. meets on uh, the 12th at 1 p.m. Okay. So it might be a good idea to show up and watch on the fifth floor <laughs> at City Hall. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk a little bit um, about how you ended up becoming a neighborhood activist. So you right now are the, the head of THAN, and as we said, that that is a citywide a neighborhood association um, that had been kind of dormant for a while. What, what prompted you to revive that organization? Well, I live in a little neighborhood south of Gandy, and um, my neighborhood association actually didn't receive it. One of my neighbors called me and said, hey, we got a notice. They want to build 300 apartments across the street. And I said, what? No, uh uh-uh. So um, we showed up to city council. We all wore red shirts and (laughs) and, um, stood up there and talked about blah, 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 nonsense that doesn't matter. And honestly, we were up to our noses in the water, and Councilman Dingfelder through the CHHA uh, life raft at us and said... CHA, what's that? It's the uh, Coastal High Hazard Area. Thank you. Which was actually a basis for denial where we didn't even know what we were doing. So we had a lot of um, interactions with our city councilman after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we became more involved in the city. Um, councilman Dingfelder actually reached out to us l- um, last January or February and said hey, Than's kind of hanging out there and not doing much. Why don't you guys see about if you could get it going again? And um, Carol Ann Bennett and I joined forces. And And Carol Ann Bennett is? She is the secretary of the Virginia Park Neighborhood Association, and she's the vice president of Than, also known as the other half of my brain most of the time. Um, But uh, so we worked really hard to get the folks who were in charge of Than to have meetings again because of COVID. Um, and then we started working on uh, changing Than as, as soon as we became elected. Than's been around for a long time. It has since the, the mid 80s. And if I had a dollar for everybody who's told me that they started Than, I would be rich. <laughs> but you now are up to um, how many members are part of the organization our, right our, now? Our membership is actually neighborhoods only. And I think we've got about 38 or 40. And those rep- they represent probably thousands of people. Yes. yes. And so have you in, experienced any successes? Do you feel like there is power in those numbers and power in the neighborhood? Is there, how are you, how are you feeling in terms of getting things accomplished it, when you're pulling together all those people in the neighborhoods? Absolutely. I think that the key for THAN is to empower the neighborhoods. It's not about me. It's not about Carol Ann. It's about empowering our neighbors to feel like they have a part and a say in our government, not just what's on the other side. It's not about money. It's about what our neighborhoods want. So it's mostly zoning issues, things like that, that you get involved in? There's zoning issues. Um, I had a neighborhood who called me a couple months ago, and they were having problems with the property that they own. And I reached out to a local development lawyer, and and she took on the the project to help them out um, so that they wouldn't lose their community center. Um, We, you know, there's, there's lots of folks in the city who are developers and development lawyers who are honorable, good people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they do the right thing over and over and over again. I think Than was started uh, when Sandy Friedman was mayor, so I think it's a pretty good legacy. She really did encourage the creation of neighborhood associations. I remember one time I wanted a sidewalk built in my neighborhood, and 
we didn't have a civic association, so a neighbor and I, we started a civic association. Right. Next thing we know, we got a sidewalk. So it is amazing what you can do when you get organized. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we're really about. We, we just want to push together um, because one at a time, we're not going to get there. But have you had any pushback, though, from some of your activism? Because sometimes when you speak out, uh, people who have power, they don't like to share it and they may not like you speaking out. Well, periodically. I think more of it is the absence of response. Um, and, and sometimes it'll take us two or three or four or five emails to get something pushed forward. And, um, and that does, that's not at the city council level. Um, but we, we've seen in the past um, that we weren't getting what we wanted. And um, we've had administration ask us, please do not send out the to God and everybody emails. And so we, we've promised not to do that with those new folks. But um, if they answer us. <laughs> we- Let's uh, reintroduce our guest. Uh, Stephanie Porner is president of Tampa Homeowners and Association of Neighborhoods a citywide network of neighborhood activists, and she's very active in her neighborhood, which is south of Gandy, which has experienced tremendous growth in the last few years. Uh, So our WMF listeners, what do you think? Uh, Do you have any uh, questions about what's going on at City Hall these days? Any questions about the neighborhoods uh, and development? Uh, Call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org. Or text us at 813-433-0885. And let us know, do you feel like you are represented at City Hall? Where are you? What are you seeing? Do you feel that your neighborhoods are being well represented and well taken care of? We have an email from Bubba who says, where are sidewalks be? It's disappointing that Tampa has so few sidewalks. I live in Seminole Heights and have nearly been hit a few times while walking on the street. Um, and that's something that um, um, you have uh, advocated for. Uh, more sidewalks in the city, um, as well as stopping some development. Um, And more sidewalks built by builders mm -hmm. when they put in a new home. Yes. There was um, a a loophole, I guess, that the city council had written into the code that was uh, allowing builders to get away with building a home without a sidewalk. Was that, were you seeing that in your uh, neighborhoods or in your in our area, to some degree, you will you will walk down the street and see some houses have sidewalks and some don't. Um, I think the sidewalk issue was the is technically the only issue that Than has come out and completely supported as a group. Um, Who I think can it's be against sidewalks, right? right? Exactly. I mean, and I, I make it a point when I get those the CARES newsletter and when I get those um, good neighbor notices in the mail that. On every single one of them, I ask for a six-foot sidewalk and curbs mm-hmm. because that's how we keep our city safe. And you know, it's a thousand or two thousand dollars if if uh, the developer does it while they're in process. But if the city has to come back behind them to do it, they have to pay for a survey and then they have to pay um, contractors to do it because they don't have a sidewalk crew at the city. I want to read an email from Jeannie Holton. Um, Jeannie says, love your guest. This kind of behavior is happening at every level of government and the chilling and overpowering effects on citizens and neighbors and voters um, by developers and their representatives is such an important issue. If only we could make people aware. Thanks for the show to help in doing this. I only wish we had a THAN in the county. When I was part of THAN, there were not enough chairs in the room. We were also a big part of the Paint Your Heart Out program. And I know that, um, Jeannie, I think in your neck of the woods where you live, there's some development going on where they're um, um, getting ready to, to 
tear up some uh, natural environment to build more housing. Um, we have um, uh, Justin Garcia on the line from um, Creative Loafing. Uh, Justin, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me all right? Yep, we can hear you. Um, tell us what your um, reporting has uncovered about um, what's going on with Orlando Goods and um, the, uh, the the complaint against him. You've done some reporting that's uncovered some sort of odd timing with all of that. Uh, so mainly, actually, I've covered uh, more of the Dingfelder situation, uh, but the good the good situation now is coming out as. Uh, uh, being complicated because of the fact that the administration, the Castro administration, knew about these complaints in 2020, and I think they actually first started surfacing around 2019, and then considered the matter closed. Uh, and now in 2021, last year in August, they decided to go ahead and pursue that those allegations again. And that was around the same time that uh, the public records request was made for Dingfelder's emails and communications. So it's just very uh, interesting timing. Uh, and then now today we saw at council that one of the, uh, Amanda Lynn Hertak was elected to, to be the new council member, but the other competitor against her was Meredith Freeman, and she is uh, a construction lawyer. So hmm. the Dean Felder being removed, who was somebody who spoke up for fair development, and then you see this person in Meredith Freeman that some people know but hasn't been involved in a lot of governmental affairs all of a sudden being jettisoned to, to the uh, top two. Um, but uh, in the end, the mandolin Airtech did take that spot. Well, Justin, you had a really interesting story last week about, uh, based on a public records request, uh, regarding the city attorney's use of her personal phone in communicating with the attorney who sued John Dingfelder over his use of personal email and his personal phone. Um, what has been the reaction to that story? Well, I've received a lot of feedback. I was on Florida this week, uh, last Friday, about it. And, you know, it's a lot of people basically reaching out saying, uh, thank you for doing this reporting because you're kind of connecting the dots. And you're pointing out contradictions here that are important because when we talk about Dingfelder's case, you know, on October 5th, I think it was, of uh, uh, last year, Grimes, uh, City Attorney Gina Grimes, came out to the media and said, we will not represent Dingfelder, essentially because he broke the rules, right? Um, and then what my reporting found with Grimes' communications is that in her uh, personal communications, including her personal cell phone, she uh, was communicating with the attorney that sued Dingfelder regularly. And on top of that, she was also communicating with Nicolini, who was the consultant uh, who the attorney was suing Dingfelder on behalf of. And in those personal communications, I found that certain aspects of them were completely missing, which is exactly what they went after Dingfelder for. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, a PDF that Michelini had sent to Grimes was just completely gone from the city's records, along with images. And this is only going back into, until August of last year, whereas Dingfelder's request went back for years and years, and they found these things that they could get them on. Uh, but going back just to August of last year, I found that Grimes, the city attorney, the same person who said that the city couldn't represent Dingfelder because he was breaking the rules by using his personal cell phone to communicate and was missing text messages, um, you know, had some similar behavior. So Was doing the same thing, right? Yeah, so um, anything new on that uh, front? Uh, 
has Gina Grimes gotten back to you about uh, her use of uh, her own personal phone for this kind of thing? No, she was out of town for a, a long planned event, um, a family event, and so she wasn't able to speak to me. I will, I will say the city's attorney's office, for that story at least, worked really uh, well with me and communicated very thoroughly. I can't say that's the case for a lot of the things I look into in the city. I do have public records requests that are, you know, over a month old now uh, for several different issues going on at the city and at PTD. Um, but Grimes has not spoken to me personally in response to it. Uh, I did do a follow-up public records request to go two months further back into uh, her communications to, to get those two months of cell phone talks as well, just to see what else happened before all this stuff started happening with this odd timing in, in early August with, you know, the good allegations being revived and with the Dinkfelder request being made. And uh, so I'm waiting on those, and I hope that the city will respond promptly to those. Well, uh, did anyone from the city reach out to provide you the internal affairs uh, file on Orlando Goods, the way apparently it was done with some other media outlets? Yeah, so this is a major contradiction that I'm encountering, too, is, like I said, I have requests that I put in, and they're just sitting there, including very simple requests, you know, uh, people's personnel files from, from TPD and stuff like that, former chief's personnel files, and they'll just sit there for weeks, for months, Whereas it seems like there's this situation going on with, with uh, you know, I'm not going to make any accusations, but there seems like there's this kind of feeding of information to certain outlets and certain reporters and certain people um, where they get information right away or they have a kind of an inside line from the administration and other people who are writing stories that kind of question the bigger power structure going on and all that kind of get stonewalled uh, quite often. And, uh, you know, I have received even kind of adversarial kind of uh, behavior from, you know, top city officials who, who control the communications of the city. And so it's disappointing to see because we're supposed to treat everyone equally and fairly. And that, that's the same for public officials as it should be for the media. And some of the allegations in the uh, internal affairs uh, files were, were f serious and, and uh, concerning. Uh, it did surprise me, though, that uh, it, I was surprised if reporters had not already looked at his file when he first ran for office. That's, you know, that's, it, it ran twice, actually. So I, I was kind of surprised that all of a sudden this stuff is coming out now so that the voters could have analyzed that before they went to the polls. D do you know if that's, that this information had been, had been uh, released previously? So I haven't done enough research to confirm uh, for sure whether or not this information came out when Goods was running. Um, I think people at the time probably should have there, done their due diligence and looked at this, uh, but I, I haven't done enough digging to see if these things came to light and that, that, that it was talked about openly. Um, that being said, you know, I agree that the allegations are very serious and that they should be taken seriously. It's just to me, and I think some other people in the community, there's this kind of uh, timeline that you can put together and these sequences of events that, that kind of raise a lot of questions as to, you know, even in good situation, it's proven now that the administration kind of said, no, this isn't a thing back in 2020. And then all of a sudden when Goose in 20, late 2021 is speaking out about certain, you know, aspects that the administration doesn't want to confront, like... Uh, rent stabilization or rent control, all of a sudden, 
uh, now this thing resurfaces. And I'm not saying that that uh, we shouldn't take the the accusers allegations right. seriously. I think that's very important. But uh, I think it's important as reporters and as you know concerned citizens to be able to zoom out and look at the bigger picture of what's going on. Well, the accuser uh, was supposed to have a press conference last week uh, and had a different attorney, Grady Irvin, who is a well-known uh, Tampa Bay area attorney. Uh, and uh, can you tell us what were you hearing before that press conference and what happened at that press conference? Yeah, so what I heard from that press conference has been kind of confirmed by some reporting going on now that the Goose accuser was kind of upset by the way the administration handled the whole situation is what I heard. And this is not 100% confirmed, but even in the actual 349-page file that from the city that documents all of the good situation, she even said at one point, I don't want anything to do with this investigation. I don't want it to go any further. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then the, the city kept investigating anyway. That's really uh, unusual. So I, what's that? That's really unusual, isn't it? That is, yeah, and, and so you know, it's it's bad. Obviously, if you're if you're participating in misogynistic behavior or any kind of sexual harassment, that's bad. But if you're going against the wishes of a victim or potentially using a victim for political purposes, that's also really bad, right? And so, what I had heard, and this is not confirmed, but is that she was going to address some of these things at this press conference. So, myself and just about every other news outlet in the area showed up. And uh, all of a sudden, the attorney comes out, her former attorney, and says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be speaking about this anymore. I just found out 20 minutes ago. And we were all shocked. And we assumed that it was either she had got a new attorney or something else had changed. And then it turned out she did get a new attorney. And lo and behold, the new attorney is uh, the same attorney who sued Dean Felder and, and uh, forced him to resign as part of the settlement. What I also find fascinating about the timeline, as you, as you put it, is that when the city released the Orlando Goods report, they didn't issue the entire report, did they? And, and you didn't know at that time that this was a second investigation restarted by the administration, correct? Yeah, they issued a report that addressed portions of what they did. And it's almost like the report kind of just glosses over important aspects of what the administration did, including, you know, reviving the the allegations, initially saying that this wasn't a sexual harassment and moving on and then coming back and contacting the person multiple times and didn't include the fact that the person had said, I don't want this anymore. I want to move away from it. You know, it didn't didn't include like really important, important aspects that kind of seem to show that the administration has some other motives going on to kind of just say it's done, revive it, you know, and just kind of almost play around with the situation until they wanted it to be something that, that they could use. Um, and I'm not, I'm, not alleg- uh, you know, I'm not making allegations that that's certain, but it just, it, it, uh, it raises some red flags, I should say. And, of course, the mayor. Uh, uh, the whole 349-page uh, report, uh, which we'll probably try to find a way to, to upload that so people can read it at CL. But it does add a lot more context to the situation. Well, what's interesting also is uh, the, the, the context of them recently appointing a new police chief who uh, was uh, arrested for a law enforcement uh, battery on a law enforcement officer 
and she was given a second chance. And, and apparently the mayor is a big believer in second chances. But apparently with Orlando Goods, no second chance? Sounds like it. I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of people pointed that out at uh, last week's city council meeting. Actually, several did. I was, I was surprised because during public comment, more people spoke about the situation with the administration, about them being selective and who they give second chances to, about the timing of the whole situation, you know, about how the entire, all the information wasn't released by the administration. And these are just normal citizens of Tampa coming to speak during public comment. So there is this kind of, you know, grassroots knowledge uh, of the, the political games, the bigger political games going on. Unfortunately, a lot of the local media hasn't really been looking at that as much as just getting caught up in the interpersonal um, frenzy, you know. Uh, but uh, that, that, was, that was surprising to me and also encouraging to see that so many people at city council during public comment were bringing that up. And have you heard much about this uh, uh, suggestion that Bill Carlson was behind of some fake uh, Facebook post that seems... Absurd on its I've face. Things but like that, I haven't really dug into it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak to sure. whether or not that's true. I don't. I personally don't think it's true, but I don't. I, I don't know enough to to confirm or deny that. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Justin. We really appreciate you calling in. Is there anything else you want to talk about here uh, before you go? Oh no, I was going to say I, I do got to get running. There's breaking news going on and everything, so I got to get. Yeah, go <laughs> go, go get that news, Justin. We appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks, Dan. I'm happy to be on anytime you want to talk. Thanks very much. And if you're just tuning in, this is um, Wavemakers on WMNF. I'm Janet um, Sherberger here with Tom Sherberger. And our guest today is Stephanie Pointer, um, who is uh, the head of a citywide neighborhood association. And she's doing a lot of work to support neighborhoods in our community. So, Stephanie, at all what we just heard from Justin, how much of that is news to you? Or you've been following all of this all along? Um, I don't think he said anything that I hadn't already heard and heard from several different sources. So uh, the neighborhood activists are uh, saying things similar to what uh, Justin said. People are talking to him about these things. You're hearing similar yeah. things, right? I, I, think, I think that if you spend enough time and energy following what's going on at city council, you can see that there's something's not right. Well, people were talking, as he said, at the com uh, during the comment about that tension. And even today, when we had 20-some speakers who got up to, to throw their hat in the ring to become John Dingfelder's replacement, many of them talked about that tension between what's with the mayor's office and, and the administration and city council and, and talked about wanting to bridge that. And maybe we'll get that with... Um, Lynn Hertak, who mentioned that she, um, as we know, that she is a big supporter of the neighborhoods, but she also um, has a relationship with the mayor who has appointed her um, to at least one board that I know. Well, the Variance Review Board, I think, is one of the things, uh, and that is that is not glamorous work. Uh, so uh, kudos to uh, Lynn for doing that. She's also a very active member of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club and asks very good questions of elected officials. So. Uh, and active in the Seminole Heights, one of the Seminole Heights Neighborhoods yep. Association. So yes. she's, she comes from the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie, in, in a perfect world as a neighborhood activist and advocate, what would it look like to you the way that you were a, if interacting with the administration and the city council? What would you envision would be a productive relationship? Mm. That's interesting. I, I would like to see it more like some of the city councilmen that we deal with now. Um, I think Lynn will follow suit with 
with um, Councilman Dingfelder's ways of dealing with folks. Well, she's been where you are. Yes, exactly. She has. And um, she's very level-headed. She's very um, conscientious. She thinks before she speaks, which makes her have like two up on me. Um, (laughs) But I, I think that's a, that's, if that continued, but we have asked repeatedly over the last couple of years to increase communications, and it has gotten somewhat better. Um, and I think that uh, interacting with the neighbors and listening to the folks, I personally have never met with the mayor. Did I say that already? Mm-hmm. Have you requested a meeting? Mm, through, through Chief Bennett. Yes. I've yes. never had a phone call from her or an email. So... Well, you know, know. Um, one of the issues we have been discussing uh, quite frequently here on Wavemakers is the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough housing. We don't have enough affordable housing. Supply and demand is, uh, is out of whack. Uh, but uh, we also had uh, Nathan from the Yimby uh, mm-hmm. group. Uh, that's yes in my backyard. And he has uh, expressed a little frustration with neighborhood associations for resisting uh, increased density, uh, things like accessory dwelling units, which you know you call it a mother-in-law apartment or whatever. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your take on that? Um, I think we have to look at each individual neighborhood association and each individual neighborhood. Not everywhere is going to embrace accessory dwelling units. Um, and Nathan, he came to our last Than meeting, and he and his compadres are really the future of, you know, our civic activists. So Than cannot stand separate from them. And as, you know, I, as I continue to tout, we stand stronger together. So how to figure out how to bridge the NIMBYs and the YIMBYs is a really, really important thing. Um, I believe in fo- affordable housing. Um, the prob- Which is not really, uh, that's not a that, very exciting word to a lot of neighborhoods. No, they don't no. want to hear about affordable housing in their neighborhood, maybe somebody else's right. neighborhood. Well, and affordable housing doesn't mean Section 8, and not that Section 8's bad either, but um, I want everyone to consider, a, a, for a family of three, our city councilmen qualify for affordable housing <laughs> based on their income as city councilmen. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also on the budget committee for the city, and I, I, um, we actually asked for them to get a, a raise to an affordable amount. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with the mix with Councilman Dingfelder was he was still working, mm-hmm. even though there was some kind of issue with that, and they didn't know about it. So if they paid them... A hundred grand a year, or whatever it is that they find reasonable, and make it a full time job, then they're not doing their side hustle to keep making mm-hmm. money to pay their mortgage. Yep. Um, we have got Nancy in St. Petersburg um, on the line. Nancy, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Hi. 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 Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy your show very much. Um, it's it's, a, it's a really refreshing to hear. Um, this this local program, I love that. Great, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to put a little little note of caution in, if you don't mind. Um, you had a call, uh, somebody who was speaking, and I guess he was a reporter mm-hmm. um, talking about uh, media and uh, the city council and access. And um, when uh, I've just seen, we've seen it on a, on, a, on a national level and. And everywhere else, that if if somebody isn't being um, forthcoming with fact and only innuendo, 
uh, it sets up a whole uh, uh, kind of an atmosphere of uh, ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And, um, all kinds of people can read all kinds of things into that stuff. And then you come up with um, rumors that morph into um, conspiracy theories. And, and I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it can start at, a, at the grassroots level. And I think that's very dangerous because I think that local is, is so important. And it's becoming more and more important um, as we near elections. What do you mean local is becoming more important? You mean local because elections? Because, yes, because of polling places and, and um, people's attitudes uh, uh, with parties, uh, you know, Democrats and Republicans and independents and whatever. And um, I, I'm just saying that if we could stick with facts uh, before speaking about uh, um, things that somebody may or may not do or may or may not have have text right. somebody. You understand that? I understand. I, I, I appreciate the call, Nancy. We appreciate it very much. And Thank I would you. say that um, Justin was talking about um, facts because he w- he was talking about a timeline and putting together a timeline. And sure, it all could be coincidence. Um, but I think that we depend on our media to connect those dots and put together a timeline for us and then people can draw their conclusions however they want to do it and then make their feelings known when they go to the ballot box. That's what it, really what it's all about. But you're right. We need facts, not speculation. We need facts, not, not speculation. Um, we've got another email from um, uh, David Bryant um, who says that he's very excited about Lynn Hertak being the new um, city council member and he met her during the old Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association um, home tour recently and yeah that she is very active in the neighborhoods and it's i think you know what what you were saying stephanie is that the the, the council actually came through and and they there was a they a neighborhood advocate was lost from the council and now a neighborhood advocate is back on the council um and local politics matter those things that happen at at the city level make a huge difference in our daily lives as you know you got involved in all this because you didn't you were concerned about a 300 unit apartment building going in across the street from you um and that makes a difference there's more traffic on the roads um and i think that what you're finding um stephanie as a neighborhood advocate is that when you pull people together you actually can have some sort of influence um, on your local elected officials, there's pe- there are people that you see in the grocery store. Um, what advice do you have for people who want to get involved? Who want to? I mean, you you started this I think three years ago and full throated and really grew this organization and are making yourself known at City Hall. Um, what advice do you have for people who who want to get involved in something like this? Well, the first thing folks need to know is what neighborhood do I live in. And so if you Google City of Tampa Neighborhood Associations, um, there'll be a nifty little map and you can find your house on it and find your neighborhood. If you run into a problem, you can always email us at info at thantampa.org. Um, we'll help you find it. I've had plenty of people who have done that. Um, there are some neighborhoods who have no organization and really, really need one. Um, one good example was there's a Publix being built near Blake High School and none of the neighborhoods were notified about it and so here we are they're they're playing catch up mm-hmm. to get na- to get the neighborhood input addressed um, not that they're 
they don't want the publics. It's just they would have liked to had something up front, but there was no neighborhood association. So um, folks watching what is going on so that other people can learn. Um, well, and, are you optimistic then, uh, given that uh, you now have a, a civic activist who's going to be on the city council? How are you feeling these days about the, 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 the at least the near future? I'm excited for Lynn. I'm also nervous for all the city councilmen because who's next? Who's going to be sued and have to leave city council because they can't afford the legal bills? $65,000 is a lot of money to most people. And I mean, I can't blame Councilman Dingfelder. I think one of the reasons why I ended up being his activist was I was named in the lawsuit and it's pretty easy to find me. <laughs> so um, that, I, I mean... I can't imagine having to dish out $65,000 for legal bills for something that may or may not have happened and didn't happen with me, that's for sure. Um, even though I'm in the lawsuit, nobody asked me. Um, so, you know, that's why we started to go fund me for him. Um, Robert Whitmore came along and said, hey, I'd like to do this for Councilman Dinkfelder. And we said, hey, we're right there with you. We'll, we'll promote it. So um, what, what's next on your agenda? Um, Are there... Are there other projects? Let's start with your neighborhood south of Gandhi because there's been a tremendous amount of development down there. Uh, what's going on there next? Right now, um, the big fish to fry is um, chemical formulators, which is a chlorine plant. Um, it's on uh, Rattlesnake Point right across from Hula Bay. Um, they transport about three and a half million pounds of chlorine throughout our city. Um, I don't know whether that's weekly or not. Um, the last time they had a spill there was a couple was 20 years ago, but it was 15 pounds and sent 60 people to the hospital. We are actively working with a developer who would like to buy chemical formulators, and they would like to sell some of their waterfront land, about three to six acres, I don't remember which it is, um, to the city for a public park on the waterfront down there. Um, and we have been working for months on this. Um, hopefully we'll get some traction on it in the next couple of weeks. What about the um, transportation referendum that is um, going to be on the ballot in the fall? Is that something that you are um, paying attention to and, and focused on at all? We are stuck in the city. I mean, I can't get out <laughs> to the county issues. But honestly, we would love to see that. I mean, we would love to see, let's spread the wealth and get some of these potholes filled and the, the paving done that needs to be done and the other, you know, the other issues that need to be addressed. Sidewalks. Yes, yeah, sidewalks. I, I think half the <laughs> city's uh, streets have no sidewalks. Right, exactly. So it's going to take a long time it will. To, to close that. Gap and it's going to take money. Well, and also, isn't tra transportation is probably one of the issues why you don't like the multifamily housing? These massive units uh, developments coming in in the neighborhood because all that does is overwhelm the roads. I've, Absolutely. So you're, I don't know, is it a how? Are, are you objecting to the number? Or are you objecting to the impact? Right. No. I mean, that's what it is. Is what's impacting your community? Well, South of Gandy is unique. We're a dead end. We dead end into the one of the largest economic engines in the city. There Which are is the McDill Air Force Base. Right. There are 22,000 people who work at McDill. There are 527 homes on McDill. So you do the math, how many people are commuting through our neighborhoods every single day, whether they come in on Bayshore or the Selman or 
Dale Mabry or whatever way they come to work, they still have to come through south of Gandhi. And so you have to take that into account when you look at the census population. Mm -hmm. It doesn't include 20,000 people every day coming through our neighborhoods. Right. Um, The amount of dwelling units south of Gandhi and west of Dale Mabry has more than doubled in the last six years. Hmm. So we have went from uh, 4,350 single family residents to we have over 47 or 4,800 apartments that are either built coming soon or going to break ground before right. before long. And what's that going to do to your neighborhood? Oh, it's I mean, it's already a gridlock. I mean, when I moved here 10 years ago, we pulled out of my neighborhood. Now we pull up to the neighborhood and we wait and we wait and we wait. And I mean, that's all over Tampa. And as yeah. long as people continue to move here, that's what it's going to be. Well, what do you? How is the uh, 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 crosstown flyover? I, I don't know what the word is that they use there. How is that extender? I think the, they the, have the, the, so you know, For our listeners in St. Pete and Pinellas, you can avoid Gandhi Boulevard now and get on the crosstown <laughs> as soon as you get off the Gandhi Bridge. Has that helped or hurt the neighborhood? It, it has helped. It, it has really helped. has because it's taken a lot of the bumper to bumper off of Gandhi onto the flyover. Um, the uh, research showed before they built it, it was going to reduce traffic by about 30%. Um, now, of course, I don't think that they knew that they were going to get another 5,000 dwelling units, but I think it certainly has helped to some degree. Um, thanks for being with us today, uh, Stephanie. We really appreciate it. Um, the, our guest today was Stephanie Pointer, who um, leads a citywide neighborhood association. And if somebody wants to get involved with that, Stephanie, they can go to... Uh, fantampa.com. Fantampa.org. Um, coming up next after the NPR News is going to be Harrison Nash. He's going to be celebrating the birthdays of Muddy Waters and Marvin Gaye. So I expect some great music in the next few hours, as well as talking about some um, Grammy Award winners and acknowledging the April mission statement, which is the environment. Um, there's lots of good news and public affairs on from 9 to noon um, every day on WMNF. And then... Um, um, great music um, later in the day around the clock. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing on Wavemakers, please go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar. Um, and this is uh, WMNF Tampa. Tampa.